it is Tuesday, Valentine's Day edition of our Key Market Drivers Report. Uh, as always, you can see the contact screen there. We would love to hear from you, uh, but let's go ahead and, and get after it. Um, I will say this, it's uh, it's kind of a wheat week uh, this week. Scott will talk about what's pushing the wheat markets around. Uh, honestly, a lot of the other markets that we follow pretty closely, the grains and the oil seeds and the veg oils, uh, didn't do a heck of a lot, as we'll show you here as we get into it. It's kind of a quiet week at this point. Um, the thing really kind of shoving the wheat market around, I think, is some of these Black Sea tensions uh, that are going on. And again, Scott will uh, touch on that here, I think, on our next slide. Maybe wait till we get to the wheat slide. He can decide that. Um, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about the Brazilian bean harvest being slow. Because of that, we've got some the corn crop going in a little bit late. Well, we're kind of picking up the steam here. The weather's improved in central Brazil. We're kind of about caught up, as I'll show you, on uh, Brazilian harvest. That's the good news. Still trailing the play just a little bit on getting that Safrina corn crop in. Um, I think Cordonier reduced it, some estimates, which surprised me a little bit, but I guess that's awful that. early, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk a little bit more about that. He's got a couple reasons for it. One of them might be legitimate. I don't know that the other one is, but um, at any rate, uh, more on that in a bit. I don't know that that's the market's not too ginned up about it just yet. And then the other thing that you guys saw probably in the news last week, uh, and certainly this has an effect or can have an effect on vegetable oil prices. Uh, Russia cut its crude production. And OPEC said, well, that's fantastic, but we're not going to raise ours to make up the difference. So that's kind of what got a little bit of a flurry of activity, I think, back in uh, the energy markets ran us up, uh, back up into the upper 70s. We didn't stick our head over 80, at least not yet. I noticed we're down a bit this morning, but uh, that might be the one thing that caused a little bit of a bounce in uh, soybean oil prices. So uh, that's kind of the backdrop here. Uh, Scott, you want to you want to talk about the Russia situation here? Or you want to wait? Yeah, for no. Weeks I, it, I don't know. You let me know. Okay. Well, it seems that uh, things are kind of, getting a little more tense over there. Um, last Friday, uh, Russia was throwing a few more um, missiles, I guess, with a concentrated effort. They hit some uh, uh, three or four different power facilities over there, knocking out power. And a lot of people think that, that you know, maybe that's the start of this final offensive that we have been hearing about from Putin for a long, long time. Uh, maybe we're finally starting to see the start of that. And um, obviously that that causes some uh, some pearl clutching a little bit on the market side of things. And the other thing, um, I don't know that this was coordinated at all, but we started to hear more rumblings out of the uh, Russian ag minister and uh, about how uh, this this. A Black Sea Grain Initiative uh, is is really not working for them. It, it doesn't work for them. They haven't been able to uh, export much grain through the Black Sea Grain Initiative. They're able to do plenty of other exports uh, out of their country, um, either to the east or to Turkey, which they uh, uh, you know can just sail across the pond and get to Turkey and not have to go through the Bosphorus, but. They claim it's taking way too long to get uh, vessels inspected at the strait down there. Uh, again, this is a UN deal, and Turkey is the a guy holding the um, you know the clipboard. So, so Scott, let me stop you. Yeah. Why is um, 
Is it just taking longer because of the UN inspection process, because of the deal, because, uh, or, or why is Russia more, are they restricted more because of the sanctions? Well, that's, that's it's a little bit of both, I think. Um, for whatever reason, Russia claims that it's taking longer today to do the inspections than it was, let's say, back in November. Okay. I don't know what the reason is for that or why, or even if it's, if they have a, you know, like to stand on in that regard. Or, yeah, or is it just something that he's making up because he doesn't want to renew the deal or yeah, and, negotiating chips? Yeah, and the other thing you you raise is the um, that they claim that yeah, we we are still able to get grain through, sure, but it's all these other sanctions that are uh, impeding. Yeah. you know. So uh, another way to put it would be that that they're saying, hey, it doesn't do us any good at all to be in this grain initiative because we're not shipping any grain through it anyway. Um, you're not letting us and you've got us pinned back on our uh, on our banking and our logistics and our uh, insurance. Um, and so, you know, it, it would seem that that's their position right now. And um, if nothing changes, the odds of extending that deal past its uh, 319 deadline uh, are probably waning a, a Pretty little Pretty clear bit. what he's going to be asking for, yep. I think, uh, in, in the deal. Um, I think also in the, in the headline section, uh, now we seem to be shooting down anything that's uh, uh, up in the air. We've now shot down apparently four more uh, objects uh, between Fridays. I, I think one Friday, two Saturday, one Sunday is uh, kind of what I'd read. Nate, I wouldn't fly that drone too high um, if I were you. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> So who knows how that's going to go? China is now saying that we've got uh, we're putting balloons up over their airspace, uh, ten of them. So uh, who knows? I, I you always get nervous about stuff like this because you just never know when there's going to be a flare up, a, which you know a geopolitical event that causes prices to start going crazy. But so far, I don't think uh, the China balloon shoot down thing is causing any commodity prices, but. Uh, tension is always something to keep your eye on. Energy markets usually react first. Maybe that's one of the other reasons we found our way back up into the uh, upper 70, uh, upper 70s on uh, petroleum prices. The other thing I think they wanted to call out here, USDA has their Outlook Forum uh, here uh, uh, later this month, 23rd and 24th. Um, they'll give us their first, that's kind of the, the market looks at that as kind of their first official pass at Planet area, their first official pass at balance sheets and what the balance sheets look like. Um, I was always taught not to necessarily read too much into it um, because it's kind of a 10 year outlook. And but the market will watch it and, and we will get, I think, the, the, the really the uh, planet area will be the thing people probably focus on most. Don't you think, Scott? Yeah. And I think isn't it more of a long term computer um, uh, uh, exercise, right? Yeah. I mean, they, you know they're not going to stray anywhere far away from trend line yields. Uh -huh. They're going to um, they're they're going to stay pretty close to the middle of the road when it comes to their acreage. Um, I certainly think so at this point. But yeah. yeah. So I mean, it 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 gives you a bit of a look, and then that they go out what ten years? Ten years, I believe. Yeah. So I I don't know. It's it's more of a. Uh, a, a quick look way down the highway, but yeah, yeah. I don't like I said. I've always been taught not to pay too much attention, but the market will talk about it. The market will uh, uh, analyze and probably overanalyze the numbers. So just know that uh, 
uh, that's coming. You know, while we've got that date up there, the 23rd, uh, another interesting bit of information, we will do our next free webinar on the 23rd. Uh, it will be called Commodity Basics. Uh, one of the, some of the feedback we've gotten on prior webinars is that I think some of the newer people in the industry have kind of indicated that, you know, it was a great webinar, but might have started at a level that was high enough that I'm having trouble getting onto that first or second rung of the ladder. So this is very much what the name implies, uh, Commodity Basics. It's kind of how to look at markets, where do we plant stuff, what are the growing cycles around the world, really kind of a high-level look. Uh, at not what's going on in markets, but more importantly, kind of how to look at markets. So uh, we got that coming down the road. It's uh, going to be on the 23rd at 9 a.m. Central Time. Tried to put it at that point in the morning so that we can get the West Coast people out of bed and we, you know, we don't get too far into that work day for the folks uh, east of us. So I uh, hope you'll join us uh, for that. So let's get into the, uh, oh, I should have also mentioned, we had a unimportant WASD last week. <laughs> and put all the supply demand slides in because honestly, uh, didn't learn a hell of a lot, which is usually what happens on the February WASD. You can see up here in the top section, USDA did increase as expected, a little bit more than expected. Uh, their ending stocks forecast for soybeans, they did that by taking crush down. Uh, if you listen to these calls regularly, you know that the last couple months crush rates were less than expected, uh, primarily because of downtime. It's certainly not because margins aren't good enough to run. <clears throat> One of the other interesting things, we, we didn't, again, put the balance sheets in here, even though they reduced crush uh, by a pretty significant amount, which would reduce soybean oil production, they really didn't take soybean oil ending stocks down. They left them at about that Goldilocks 1.9 something billion pounds. Uh, and they did it because they keep taking exports down. We've talked many times on this call about how pathetic our export totals are for bean oil. Uh, I think to date, we have we are well under 100 million pounds shipped. USGA lowered their uh, uh, export estimate to 700. Uh, Nate's done a little bit of work here uh, trying to, because we kind of asked the question in the office, gee, many Christmas, when was the last time we exported that small a number, 700 million pounds for the year? Uh, and the answer is we honestly don't know. We got all the way back into the 60s. Uh, the lowest number that Nate was able to find in the USDA's website was 1968-69 crop year. Uh, we're just slightly over 800 million pounds. Current estimate is 700, and exports to date are less than 100. So I guess that could even go down further. So can you uh, imagine? Can you can you imagine if we actually end up crushing? I mean, with these margins right now, it's kind of hard to look at this and say. Well, we're gonna we're gonna lower crush, right? I mean, with yeah. with margins where they are, there's every incentive for uh, if you own a crush plant or something that resembles a crush plant, there's every incentive for you to run that thing. And and uh, so if we would happen to crush, um, we're gonna be swimming in oil, I, I would think. I was gonna say if you have a tank to put this stuff. Yeah, in. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's it's really interesting, and I think that's a that's a great. You know, when you look at that veg oil market, I mean, we have been scared to death for the better part of the last decade that this was the year that the biofuel wolf was finally at the door and he was going to eat our soybean oil balance sheet. Uh, really haven't had that happen, even though the soybean oil we're using for biofuel go, gets bigger every year as it's going to this year. Um, but we really have shut off the export spigot for all practical purposes. Uh, U.S. North American veg oil prices continue to be an island. Uh, the rest of the world, every other veg oil, every other place on the planet 
uh, is less than here. It would be kind of interesting, though. I mean, why why did USDA take crush down? Um, it's not because well, crush just, margins aren't there. It's not because there's not demand. I mean, pace what, data. What was, pace yeah. data. Okay. We we had uh, when you look at the pace data, the last two months, uh, November and December were quite disappointing. Now that was breakdown related. It wasn't because uh, they were running less, but when you look at the pace data to date, and then you start looking at even record crush the rest of the way, which I think we'll certainly have, um, you still get to a little bit lower total. Now, keep in mind, USDA lowered their crush 15 million bushels. It's still a record. Right. So uh, it's just not as much of a record as we thought before. So uh, could we catch back up? I think to your point with margins as good as they are, that's certainly a possibility. But um, I think that's why they did it, just purely pace data. They get pretty mechanical once you get into the crop year. As I mentioned, corn didn't really do much last week. You can see we got Safrina corn planted at 25%, well behind last year, uh, still behind the five-year averages I'm going to show you, but not nearly so much. Cordonier actually reduced his corn production estimate. Talked about that earlier by 2 million metric tons. Uh, one of it, uh, at least some of that is because of the late planting. Um, was it just, was it one or just two? Did he he went down two, I think, didn't he? <clears throat> Well, we got one on the slide, and I was just. Oh, okay. Well, I thought it was. Oh, I, it's right. I thought I had it at one, is what I read. No, that's Argentina. Well, that's Argentina. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. he lowered it two uh, in in Brazil. Yeah. Some of that also is, you know, the southern Brazil, where the first corn crop, we got yields are pretty disappointing in southern Brazil because they've shared in some of the dryness that Argentina has, uh, and so a little bit of that's probably. You know, the further south first corn crop that they're they're working on harvesting now, but some of that is the, the later uh, Safrina planting. I'm not sure I'm ready to say we're going to be late getting that Safrina corn crop in. We're just a bit behind right now. So that's probably enough on that one at this point. But if you take us through wheat, that's where we had some bigger moves price-wise. Yeah, we were up uh, in Kansas City and Chicago last week pretty good. Almost 4% in Chicago and, and a little over 4% Kansas City. Minneapolis is kind of just hanging in there right now. There's a pretty good spread between, uh, you know, it, it's way out front leading everything. And so I think they said, yeah, you guys go ahead. I'll stay back here uh, for we'll the catch up later. Um you know, so so there were some big moves there. We didn't see a, a, a lot of, of jostling too much, at least on the, the international pricing. Um, you see there, Russia is still well underneath everybody else. We saw some trades last week at a little over 300 bucks a ton. Now, that was actually down week over week. Um, so I, I think, again, they, they uh, continue to, to be the, the world's leading exporter right now. Uh, you see there, Sovicon had them at just under uh, 4 million metric tons uh, in the month of January. That's 90% higher than what they did a year ago. And oddly enough, not a record. The record for one month for them is 3.9 million. So so that didn't seem to match up with the uh, Putin whining about. Right. Well, and you have to remember um you know, who's the biggest recipient or who is one of the biggest recipients of wheat out of Russia? One of their biggest trading partners mm -hmm. is Turkey. Turkey. They're good buddies right over there in Turkey. Um, and <clears throat> and they're they're shipping a good bit more wheat to China today, too. Uh, and that doesn't have to go through the Black Sea either. OK, right? so. Um, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing. All of the other you know, major market factors, I, I say. You know, we, we say major market factors, 
they really haven't changed. I mean, they're still there. Um, in the WASDE yesterday, one of the things, or last week rather, um, the world wheat production went up two and a half million tons, which we thought it would. They raised Australia's crop uh, a million and a half up to 38. And they finally raised the Russian crop from 91 all the way up to 92. Huh. Um, so I don't know if that's Uncle Sam finally tipping their cap a little bit saying, yeah, it is it's big. A big um a little bit and uh ending stocks went up only about a, a million tons but we you know uh the the balance sheet in and of itself is is still kind of comfortable it's uh you know this this uh little bit of uh, a bounce last week uh i think has dri been driven mostly by um people being a little bit concerned about the black sea yeah, and the extension of the agreement that that makes sense all right thank you scotty uh, jumping into the soy complex, not going to spend much time here because honestly, uh, not a lot has really changed. I talked, if you look at the uh, bearish factors, probably should have put that on the veg oil slide, but uh, U.S. soybean oil exports the lowest in, as I mentioned, uh, decades. We're not, like I said, we've not even found a number that small before, uh, but certainly uh, I haven't seen a number that little, uh, 700 in my damn near 40 year career or so. Uh, to say that we are not exporting soybean oil out of the U.S. is the uh, uh, really kind of the mother of all understatements. Looking at the, uh, here's the uh, Monte Grosso data I was talking about. You can see here on the upper left, we've kind of caught back up to that dotted line. That's the five-year average. Now, this is Monte Grosso. This isn't Brazil as a, as a whole, but Monte Grosso is the, by far the largest producing bean, soybean and corn producing state. I don't remember what the percentage is on uh, of Brazilian soybean production from Mato Grosso, but uh, it's almost half, isn't it? 40, I think 40 it's something. Half it's, I think it's 46% of yeah. total corn production happens in Mato Grosso. So this is a, a really good proxy for what's going on there. This would be like, uh, uh, this would be like looking at uh, the U.S. situation and getting uh, uh, Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana as kind of one big chunk. So you can see in the bottom right, though, we are still a bit behind here. Uh, I've always been kind of taught as a proxy. If you get most of the spring corn in uh, in the month of February, uh, you'll be OK. I think we're going to make some pretty good progress here in the next couple of weeks. A bit of rain again. Uh, looks like we're, as Paige is going to talk about in a second on the weather maps. But, uh, you know, I would think that we would be up there around that three quarters of the crop in uh, before we get to the end of February, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see how uh, farmers do down there. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here either. The, porn, uh, the palm oil market, uh, the best phrase I heard for this uh, is uh, the deer in the headlights. Uh, it's flat at 950 bucks, right in the middle of that 900 and something dollar range we've been talking about. And honestly, the palm oil market's kind of bracing at this point for trying, waiting for the Indonesian government to figure out uh, uh, what they're going to do. You know, it's the uh, uh, they continue to talk about uh, the domestic marketing order. They continue to talk about uh, limiting export licenses. Uh, we talked a bit last week. I don't need to go over it again, I guess, about. Um, you know, what they're trying to accomplish, which to me is kind of two different things. You know, on the one hand, they're trying to support prices for their producers, uh, hence the increase in the biofuel mandate. But the other side of that, that causes food inflation, which, you know, in a very poor country is not, uh, not real peachy either. So anyway, 
Uh, that seems to be what's going on there. Uh, on the bearish side, I did want to call out, we got a Malaysian palm oil board production and stocks numbers. Uh, we saw stocks rise about 3%, as you can see up there in one of the, the top bullets. Um, it's really odd to have stocks go up in January. I think that's a testament that even with the lower production that we saw, that is typical in the winter months, uh, we still increased stocks because exports were pretty poor. Now, it does look like we're seeing exports pick back up a little bit. I had a question when we talked about the port stocks piling up in India and China a, a, a month ago, and that's why exports were poor in January. Uh, I did have somebody actually reached out, called me and said, hey, why is that going on? And I, I described it at the time of we just kind of had stuff piling up because India imported a lot of stuff when the import duties were little or nothing. Uh, as those go up, they just, you know, they fill the tanks, uh, but they would certainly be back. And I think that that's the case. I think we're starting to see some of that Indian uh, import business come back. Uh, and that's why uh, at least we're starting the month of February off with better uh, better import data or better export data. So, whoop, passed it up for you, Scotty. There's Derry. Yeah, a couple of call outs here. Uh, you know, we, we got a couple of, of uh, points of data from uh, Uncle Sam. Uh, their cheese pricing forecast for 23, you see there 186. Amy, uh, Amy Smith at AES, she's got 188 on her block cheddar number. The butter forecast at 233, and she's a little higher at 238. Um, I thought it was interesting when you look at what Uncle Sam is saying versus what Amy is saying for uh, the coming year. They're they're kind of in the same uh, in the same place. Um, but I suppose uh, if if I had to handicap, I would say both of them are probably uh, uh, maybe a little bit more bullish than what their numbers would appear. You see there the the just the straight milk production. Uh, we've got that in the bearish market factors that we're going to be up again slightly in 23. Three quarters of a percent from USDA, almost a full point from uh, AES. Um, I think that if if they had to do it again, Amy for sure would probably be tempering that number. And most of that has to do with the fact that we're down or going to be down on the cow herd. You know, we're we're down. Um, uh, the, the cow herd was down a half a percent to end 22, and going into 23, we you know they're going to hold back or not send about two percent of the heifers back into the cow herd for 23. So you know that puts a lot of pressure, doesn't it, on on the production per cow, obviously the, yep. the increase yield and weather per cow and weather, right? Those are the two things that you're going to be looking at. So you go to the next slide, I think. Is it the next slide? Yeah. So the weekly update, you know, cheese hasn't gone too far. Seems like uh, the market is kind of leaning to the bullish side of things, but there's still plenty of milk. It's still fairly cheap. And uh, uh, cheese manufacturers are, are still running pretty good. Uh, when you look at the um, global numbers, you know, we're still well above that. Uh, German pricing is in the 170s, uh, and, but the global dairy trade numbers were up uh, last week pretty significantly. On the butter side of things, now we've ticked our head back up over the 240 uh, number, and we're, it would seem that maybe we're going to stay there for a while. We got all the way up to 243.5 yesterday. Again, uh, cream is cheap. It's available. And they're running, maybe not running quite as hard now that the uh, 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 holidays are well behind us. 
Um, they're putting butter up for the spring holidays. Most of this stuff is going to um, going to the freezer. Uh, and again, I, calling out the international prices, um, we're way above any one of those three figures, uh, above the Dutch number, the German number, or the global dairy trade number. And even that was, was you see there was up almost 7%, and it's still only 216. Yeah, so it, uh, you'd think that would start cutting into exports at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Scotty. Uh, as far as Mother Nature goes, uh, Paige, well, I, I'm going to stop here real quick before I turn it over to Paige. Um, this is a couple, three weeks old data. Uh, the CFTC has not report, uh, not released a commitment to traders report to give us spec positions. Either of the last two Fridays, there's apparently a uh, significant cyber-related incident. Ransomware attack is what we had heard. Uh, that's one of the clearing members, right? Ion. Ion is. And I don't think that uh, it, it, honestly, I'm not sure, and Nate, you may know of this better than me, but I don't think this uh, is directly related to any of the AGs. It has more to do with a lot of the softs, you know, oh, okay. um, the, the sugar and the cocoa and that sort of thing. But if, if I understand correctly, they're not going to release anything until they get it all squared away. Yeah, I think that there's a larger concern about just the, the validity of the data. And kind of, and like you said, Scott, I think it's more of the softs. Um, I was reading some stories about it this weekend, and I think that that it's kind of raised some antennas around. Okay, are we how how sure are we this data is correct? And I guess hats off to them, right? Instead of throwing data out that's not accurate, they're just going to kind of say let's let's dig into this a bit. Although it does create a bit of a blind spot, but you know. yeah, I guess they said no data is better than bad data. But <laughs> that's right. Um, for the tinfoil hat crowd, it have anything to do with that balloon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously kidding but uh moving on here i will turn it to Paige for the weather update hither and yon yeah so this is kind of that map that we always start with that past seven day precipitation um you can see kind of that central part of the corn belt kind of remained pretty dry this last week but it looks like right on kind of that panhandle of oklahoma and texas and a little bit over into colorado actually got some rain um, not, not Boy, a lot not by any stretch of, yeah, not a lot, um, but at least it's not white. So they got that going for them. Um, if you want to pop forward to the seven day forecast, it looks a little bit better. Um, still not really dark blues and purples over kind of widespread in that, uh, dry winter wheat area. Um, but we'll take a darker shade of green with a little bit of blue in there at this point. Um. They still kind of remain dry, obviously, um, but these rains are definitely going to be beneficial. Obviously, would like to see kind of heavier, more widespread rain, but I don't think they're going to complain about this at all. Right, Scott? Absolutely not. Weren't you talking about the radar? It looks like they're actually getting some of that rain in Oklahoma. Yeah, it, it's either a little bit of rain or a little bit of snow one way or the other, but the, they are getting precipitation in the panhandle of Oklahoma uh, now and, and have been, uh, you know, over the early morning hours today. So, well, that's good news. And it is worth noting, I know it's raining a little bit here um, in Omaha. Nate, is it raining up in Minnesota at this point? Yes, it is. Okay. We're supposed to so get rain all day today. Lovely. I think that's kind of what ours looked like. I don't think a ton of rain. It's kind of just drippy out there. Um, but you can kind of see a lot of that kind of those main producing corn belt areas look like they should be getting um, some rain this week. Obviously, it's a little bit early um, 
for planting at this point, but something we're going to have to start keeping an eye on. Um, do you want to pop back a slide to the drought severity? Um, so that drought severity index, this is one of those maps that we'll kind of start paying a little bit more attention to as we get closer to planting. Um, obviously, we all know that those dry winter wheat areas uh, are extremely dry, which obviously this map shows pretty well. Uh, we still remain a little bit dry in Nebraska, but kind of a lot of that Corn Belt area is actually about normal with maybe a little bit of dry patch here and there. Um, so we'll really kind of need to see some rains move back in uh, to make people feel a little bit better about planting. Say, uh, speaking of planting, uh, Dave and Scott, for those that are listening that maybe uh, don't know when do we typically start? Obviously, we get the planning attentions report on you know March first, but when do we typically start seeing planting starting in the south? You know, we'll start seeing some some stuff get put in the ground in in Texas and in those areas down there. Uh, when does it that typically start? I, I haven't seen anything specifically, but it wouldn't surprise me that you know somebody might already be out scratching around. That's and usually way, way, way down south. Though. Yeah. And usually by March 1st, you're, you know, you're planting in, let's say, Texas and, and Louisiana. Normally in our neighborhood, um, you're not going to start every once in a blue moon. If conditions are just perfect, you'll get guys that will start putting corn in the ground as early as mid-March. But that is so typically very, very early. And that's outside of the um first date for insurance dates. insurance dates that you typically don't see much of that going on it's more of a uh somebody bragging at the coffee shop you know hey i put the north 40 in on uh you know march 15th so usually that's going to be a, a a you know late uh march type of a of a number for those insurance yeah dates. a lot of times it's kind of a march uh 31st planning intentions report and the gun simultaneously goes off and if yep. the weather's good we really kind of start getting after it i think most of those insurance states up in the midwest we'll put a we'll put an insurance state slide up here uh, in the coming weeks as we start talking more about this but i don't think you really get up into the heart of the corn belt until you get out to no the first of the you might see some of those insurance states for let's say missouri in Kentucky, yeah, that'll be in April March 1st. or April first. Yeah, but but uh, yeah, we're a good bit off yet. Yeah, didn't mean to steal your thunder, Paige. Go ahead. No, you're good. Um, as far as the longer term forecast uh, temperature, there's not really a whole lot there. Kind of a mixed bag. Uh, but really, it's those six to ten and eight to fourteen day maps that we're gonna kind of pay attention to. Um, it looks like for kind of majority of the U.S we should be looking at kind of above average precipitation levels for this time of year. Um, I think we would love to see one of those dark green circles right over kind of the heart of the winter wheat areas as we have all said for the last forever, seems like that those are still very dry. Um, seems like they might be getting a little bit of moisture and hopefully that kind of bodes well for them in the future. Um, I think that's all I had on U.S. weather. If you want to pop forward to South America, um, there's still kind of pockets across Brazil that have heavy rainfall forecasted kind of this week and next week, um, which honestly at this stage of the game are probably not ideal. Uh, as we talked about, kind of um, harvest running a little bit late and in turn kind of pushing Safrina corn planting a little bit behind. 
These uh, lighter blues, this is kind of Mato Grosso right here where the arrow is. These lighter blues are okay. We'll make progress. It's when you get, start getting the darker ones in the orange, uh, it can kind of slow you up a bit. So, yeah. Um, the good news uh, for this week, it looks like we have some decent rains forecasted uh, kind of in that northern Argentina where we grow a lot of those crops. Um, the concern kind of comes when you look at next week's forecast, that 14-day forecast. Yeah. Um, well, it looks like those rains might be kind of a little bit too far west. Um, maybe yeah, they kind of move over. Yeah, maybe they kind of move over a little bit uh, as we get closer. But I think that's not going to be overly great. We were kind of hoping for some widespread rains kind of continuously in Argentina. But these maps are already looking better than they have been previously. So hopefully they kind of continue to improve um, as we talk about the La Nina kind of waning a little bit and going back to more neutral. But it has definitely looked worse in Argentina, but it could definitely look better at this point. Yeah, I think the Cordonia went down another couple to 36 million metric tons, didn't he? I think so. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a train wreck. That's a that is a train wreck of a of a crop. So, all right. Well, thank you, Paige. <clears throat> and I believe that is our story this week, and we are sticking to it. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you. If you got any feedback, uh, we do get it occasionally from folks. If they got a question or or feedback on the uh, how we do the call, we we certainly love to hear from you. Uh, and as always, uh, be careful out there. <laughs>